Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. And there it is. We are recording. Hey guys, I am so stoked to introduce this guest. She is so cool, so fun, uh, a marketer, an entrepreneur, a columnist for MarTech. Uh, she's in our ecosystem, but she has a specialty which we have neglected, but not anymore. Recruiting, career, jobs. She lives in this space and she helps and she specifically helps marketers get jobs. And we're going to talk about not only jobs, but careers, we're talking about placing people. So if you're looking for marketers, if you're a marketing leader, you're looking for people, this is the podcast. If you're trying to get a new position, this is the podcast. So I'm excited. She is a conduit for great talent. She has a badass podcast. You should also check out called The Get, which is the coolest name ever. And executive recruiter, founder of The Connective Good, Erica Seidel. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Casey. Hey, what's up? Hello, hello. Uh, it's, it's good to be here and happy, uh, you know, happy Veterans Day. Yeah, thank we you. Are, thank uh, you. They are recording this. I, uh, I don't know if I told you this, but um, I know you're going to ask about career, like regrets and stuff. And one of the, uh, and career advice, and one of the things I kind of regret is not doing military service. So oh. it's fascinating to meet military folks. So. Yeah. It's a wild ride. We'll have to talk about it. We'll we can get into it a little bit later on if you're interested. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. I think rec recruiting can be a bit of a wild ride itself. So uh, we'll have to compare notes there on that, but let's, let's start at the top here. And I, I know you're just chomping at the bit to, to tackle this thing. I'd love to ask you, actually, but first, before I ask you this question, you know, I need to pass you something. So here it is. It's heavy for me, but ugh, I know you're strong. Okay, here you go. Can you grab that? There you go. You got it? Okay. All right. Take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. Okay. Um, there's two because this is actually, uh, recruiting is kind of like a two-sided marketplace, right? Yes. There's the candidates and there's the clients. And uh, the main one is um, that from a, a client standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, um, you might think that recruiting is all about um, kind of picking from a lot of different options um, and having, as I say, 11 out of 10 requirements and this, this kind of um, feeling of abundance. But the market is very different, not just now, but it's been different for a while. And it's really more of a market of scarcity. And I know that sounds obvious, but um, a lot of people are still recruiting as if there is a situation of candidate abundance. They're asking things like, why should we hire you? Why are you the best fit for this job? Um, and they are looking for a lot of different, um, you know, kind of requirements when they, when they hire. And they often focus more on evaluating the talent than on selling the talent. Um, and meanwhile, on the other side, candidates, like I'm having candidates tell me like, Erica, you're the 10th person to call me this week. I'm only taking the call because I know you. Um, and people are critiquing my pitch. Like I have never seen a market like this and I've done executive search for 11 years now. So, yes. um, and what candidates want is often a little bit different than what a company is, uh, kind of pitching. So 
what candidates want these days, which matters a lot is, you know, good work, good culture, good team. This is all a little bit fuzzy, but you know, that's, you know, careers. Um, They want a company that values diversity. They want a company that values marketing. They don't want to travel anywhere near as much as a lot of um, CEOs think they will want to travel. Um, So those are some key things. The other one I have to say, because I know you said up front, like, you know, help marketers find jobs. Yeah. On the candidate side, that is a, a misperception. Like, oh, okay. So I do retained executive search. That means that a company hires me and they say, go talk to 200 people or whatever, however many you have to talk to, narrow it down, give us the top ones. Yeah. And, and so that means I break up with more people than I kind of get married to. And, um, you know, I, my job is not necessarily to help a marketer find a job. I love talking to marketers about their careers, but, um, you know, the job is really to help the client make a good decision and find the right person, um, which is a little bit different. You know, some, sometimes candidates get pissed. They're like, well, you're not a therapist. You're not a career coach. It's like, well, no, I mean, I, I can do that for the few people that I'm in touch with for, for my search. And I do that a little tiny bit pro bono every week just because, you know, I think it's the right thing to do and to meet new folks, but, uh, but that's, a, that's a myth. So, you know, be careful. I guess my advice for candidates is always like, yeah, it's, I heard this from an investor once, like there's no casual meeting with an investor. It's almost like there's no casual meeting with a recruiter either. So if you're still working out what you want to do and who you are, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, try to do as much of that before you talk to a recruiter as possible. And of course, you know, I mean, these two kind of trends, I think they're they're changing a little bit now. Like I'm definitely doing a lot more conversations with candidates who are really early stage and trying to figure themselves out and figure out their next steps because um, the market is so tight. And so I'd rather be engaged in the candidate early, even if they're not entirely sure they're going to make a, a move. Let me stop yeah. there. No, you know what? Not one, not two, but three myths in the matter of like, 30 seconds. I love this. And, and thankfully, I wrote them all down. So we're absolutely going to tackle each and every one of them. But I really okay. think that that it's almost like a bonus myth, the idea of not like, hey, I'm, I'm here to help the client find the candidate. I know there are some recruiters or maybe they're more like job coaches, career coaches who who will sometimes for pay, they'll actually go and try to place you in places. But what I really love what you did is you're saying like, look, let's be clear. I'm here for the, you know, I'm here for everyone, but at the same time, my job is to help this company or this organization or that HR person at that company. And you know, I see this in like real estate too. It's, you need to be clear or like even financial, you know, fiduciary responsibility. You have a responsibility to the company. And if you just put it out there, then people can understand that. That being said, everyone, if you do happen to go and find Erica after the show and connect with her on LinkedIn and say you heard her on this podcast and you just stay following her and in her network, maybe you're closer to the search, right? Maybe. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I mean, I've found a lot of people by, you know, like I have a newsletter and everything and, and uh, I mean, I'm very focused. I'm hyper-focused on marketing. And so, yeah, um, I meet a lot of folks along the way and, um, you know, I'm, you know, it's funny because some recruiters are, they're really all about the money. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously that's a piece of it, right? This isn't nonprofit, yeah. but uh, I, I don't know, for me, I'd rather do one or two fewer searches a year and invest that time in things like writing about what's going on with the marketing function and doing events to bring people together. I, I just, yeah. It's just kind of the way I 
the way I roll just because I, I, I like to be, I think marketing is just a, a function that is changing all the time. And so to be immersed in it, which is my value prop, you know, like I, I like to be able to um, be connected to, to the, you know, to people who are doing yeah. it every day and to, and to learn from them. And that's fun. But what, what a great point to mention that there's no casual meeting with a recruiter, right? So yeah, you're a very nice person, right? Yeah, absolutely. Your smile is I don't know. <laughs> infectious. You're just a cool person. We, we talked before and we're talking in the podcast. All that being said that, you, you know, someone heard you on the podcast, you still got to bring your A game, right? They have to respect the recruiters they're talking to and understand that it's a selection process. Um, so yes, yes, it's not a place of scarcity, but you know, there's still a selection process. So you got to be on top of your game, got to be prepared, got to just come at it with, you know, do they need prepared answers? What's the best way to show up for a recruiter before we go on to the next myth? I just want to pick your brain. You know, you say, hey, yeah. there's no casual meeting. So any recommendations for the best meeting with a recruiter? Having a clear sense of your value proposition and what you are looking for. So often, and knowing kind of, you know, how the other side views a search. So often in my searches, you know, I do a lot of like B2B searches, not only B2B, but B2B or B2C, but scale up kind of things where it's a company, they're like 10 million, we want to get to 50 million, or they're 50 million, they want to get to 200 million. And they want the person who has done that before, who has done that kind of scrappy to scale arc, um, that journey. And so it's great when a candidate can say, I joined a company when it was, uh, you know, 20 people and I was, a, you know, employee number 21 and I was with it as it scaled all the way up to 100 people and X million in revenue. Um, because that kind of shows the business impact that they have um, helped to foment um, and, 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 and the scale that they've seen. So that's cool. That's a big piece of it. Having the from two story. Um, having a clear sense of of kind of who somebody who they are. Like I had a candidate who once said, "I'm a CMO, CMO who thinks like a CFO." Wonderful. Okay. I mean that you know even having something very encapsulated, so like a little bit of uh, what do you call it? a tagline? You know, I guess it's like marketing yourself. Marketers tend to be terrible at marketing themselves. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. I mean, I'm like. I, I feel yes. that pain, my, you know, myself. Totally. Not, you know. Um, and so often it's helpful to talk to other friends who can kind of react to your pitch. Um, so that's one thing. And then also, you know, it's hard, Casey, because like, you know, again, people want the good team, the good culture, you know, nice people. But I, I actually wouldn't say that to a recruiter because nobody ever says, I want to work with jerks who, um, you know, in a terrible culture. I think it's more about the, um, well, it's two things. Like one is defining that as much as possible. So one framework I like to think of is, is it a more of a get it right environment or is it more of a get it done environment? You know, um, no judgment on those, but there are different kinds of, you know, environments to work in. So if you can kind of articulate the culture as, as much as you can, if that's going to be a key criteria, great. But I would actually um, also, just if you're talking to a recruiter, be clear on like, you know, I would love to work at a company that um, is in this space, you know, maybe it's like marketing technology, maybe it's cybersecurity, you know, maybe it's series B, uh, you know, post product market fit. I get a lot of that. Um, 
and uh you know in, in a particular location i like to know if somebody's going to move or not you know physically relocate um you know it's just having that having that sense i also ask people what is the thing they do that's easier than breathing um as as a way of just getting at like you know what is there it's it's not quite what is your superpower but um but because I, I i just like to see who's like what wh- where somebody really, really shines. And I'm not as interested usually in the whole resume walkthrough. I did this and then I did that. And then I did this. Right. Um, yeah. I love that. It, it, whether the word is niche or is it niched for you or is it niche? What, let's make the call right now. Oh, let's make that call. I, I like how do you say niche. it? I, I like to say niche. Yeah. I say it too, but doesn't niche sometimes just sounds like a... Oh, it does. It sounds more um, a little French. Yeah. yeah and this is like a personal niche, right? And what's to remind people, you are an executive recruiter. So you're helping place senior level marketers. Mm-hmm. Um, and But what's fascinating is this lesson, <laughs> even if you're in marketing and you're senior, we all need this lesson, right? Not only oh, all, yeah. A lot of career advice like applies to everybody. Yes. And and but, a lot of times executives, yeah. you would think they'd be more. You'd think. In on it, but 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 then, you know, we all need a little refresh, of course. We all do. And and I, I mean, I, it took me having a, you know, just even a coaching session with with some of myself to be able to say, hey, I love working uh, with professional services or I love the B2B software space. Right. But but I think the important thing is not to try to be be everything to be the everything marketer to that recruiter because then you get forgotten. That particular C- CMO who said, I'm a CMO who thinks like a CFO, uh, that says something, right? Now, if you are if you don't want that, that's great. You saved yourself the trouble of not talking to that person. He saved himself or she saved herself the trouble of not talking to you. But if that's what you're looking for, this is someone who's claiming it, right? So yeah, I love that. Or hey, you know, I, I prefer the early stage startup. And once we get a little bit bigger, I'm out. You find somebody else. Or you bring me in once you've figured out what your product market fit. I'll take it to the roof after that. But but think about what that um, that next step is and, and what you – I love that you also said for culture, don't just say, I want a good culture. Because it's like, well, what is – it's so subjective. What does that mean to you? And getting very clear on – I like to have, it's almost like, what are your personal core values and are they going to line up? You know, mine are like, I care, I have fun, I get things done, right? So if there's a company that doesn't really care and they don't have fun, I'm not really interested, right? Because this is what I bring to it. So having, having that niche, having that one liner, man, what a great recommendation. And then having that, you know, having some values that you stand for. This is, this is great stuff. I, I can't believe we've, we've got you here on this podcast to just answer questions like this. This is like, million dollar advice uh, for everyone listening. This is great stuff. So can I take us back to that first myth around the, the scarcity versus abundance? What's going on here? We have employers that are still being draconian and, and asking that bizarre question of why do you want to work here? It's like, I don't know. You tell me, why do I want to work here? <laughs> What's going on? How, how, how have we not responded to this? It's a really good question. I think a lot of people haven't really been taught how to interview and there's all these different ways of interviewing yeah and it's very question yeah right and or you know like even people put out a job spec and it'll be like they google the like the job title and they kind of cobble it together from yeah they copied someone else's job description (laughs) Copied from somebody else's, um, yeah, as opposed to think about, you know, the pitch. So always when I write a job spec, you know, I write 
somewhat unique job specs and they're really damn long. Uh, but I have quotes from the company and I talk about kind of, you know, why somebody would want to work there. You know, again, what's the, the what's the kind of value prop? But I think, you know, what, what we have all too common is that uh, like a CEO doesn't have a lot of time, God bless them. And so they are probably like, they are often reading somebody's resume, like on the way to the interview. Um, and then they, um, and then I think, I think the other thing in recruiting is like, you're looking, you really want the person to be the one, you know, cause you don't want to spend tons of time recruiting. And you really want to feel that familiarity with the person like, oh, I get them and they get me. And I think truly a CEO, say meeting a CMO candidate, they like they really do want to know what makes the person tick. They want to understand like, you know, they want to scratch below the surface and not have the person be super polished. Usually they they they, they want the real story. Um, and of course, candidates want, you know, the same thing. So it's almost like our, our, we, we have this historical mindset of you sit on one side of the table, I sit on the other side of the table and we're kind of putting our, putting our best foot forward. Um, but what, where I see searches going really well is when you kind of sitting on the same side of the table proverbially and, uh, and maybe even literally where say a CEO can say, look, here's the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and candidates can do the same. Like I had a candidate who I'll never forget this. was doing this um, search for kind of typical search for me. Um, it was a B2B SaaS company and, uh, and they wanted a demand gen oriented marketing leader. And I had this, this guy who showed up in an interview with me. He said, Erica, I'll share my screen. This is my, um, uh, my, uh, what do you call my dashboard, my, my marketing dashboard. And here you see like, you know, the lead flow and all the you know, different channels and how well they're performing. Here's the CAC, here's the LTV, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and he kind of just narrated for me, this is what's working well, this is what's not. And I was just in awe and I, I wished everybody could do that, you know, so a little bit of show and tell is great. I think on, on both sides and, yeah. um, and kind of just, and, and also I think, you know, companies are scared. They want to make sure that um, they don't want to make a mistake. So that's probably a little bit where it, you know, where it comes from. And now in a market where you have to kind of move fast to get the talent before they go somewhere else, you might be kind of taking, a, you know, looking and leaping at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, and there's some kind of weird game that tends to get played where I'm being not really myself and neither are you. And we're both sitting in front of each other being com not completely fake on that's too much, but you know, we're just, we're being not quite ourselves and what we're asking for is not quite what we want. And, and then we find it out later, right? It's almost right. like getting married too soon or something like whatever the, yeah. you know, Hey, have a couple dates and but man, how do you, how do you balance that though? Because we just talked about how there's scarcity on the other side. Now you want to get them in. So if you want to get them in, how badly do you scare them <laughs> to tell them that you've got some, you know, Hey, this is, Hey, we're a startup, you know, things are going to change all the time, but at the same time, here's what's good. How do you balance the transparency without freaking out a candidate who might be getting sold by somebody else? Damn, you have good questions. Yeah. Um, uh, right. <laughs> I, I think that a good marketer wants to solve a problem. 
And and sometimes because I've asked, you know, probably thousands of people this question of what is easier for you than breathing. And some of the smartest ones just say, I like solving tough problems and I'm good at it. And uh, not everybody says that. Not everybody who's good says that. But um, and so I think. And not I think what I have seen is that companies that kind of air their dirty laundry attract people that want to fix that problem. Where a CEO can say, okay, here's, here's the situation. Companies at, I don't know, 50 million in revenue, but marketing is more akin to a $25 million business. And I need to mature that. Um, I'm having a problem because we're, you know, the, the leads that are coming in are more from uh, more tactical decision makers. But what we want is more business decision makers. And how can I think through that? Um, here's my hypothesis for where growth can come from. What do you think? And so those kinds of honest conversations about, you know, about, about what's broken and what needs fixing are really compelling. The other thing that I have started doing with some of my clients is, is like a from to framework. So, you know, I go in and I ask, you know, what are you, what are the business challenges? What are the top three business results you're looking for? Um, and a bunch of other questions, but then I often come, I'll come up with this from two framework where it's just like yep. five, yeah, kind of lines on a, on a spreadsheet, so to speak. And on the left, it might be like, you know, 30 million in revenue. And then there's an arrow to 50 million in revenue. So the company wants to go from 30 to 50. The company wants to go from, uh, tactical decision makers to more business, um, a kind of more executive decision makers. They want to do, um, uh, I, I don't know, um, uh, going from a marketing team of five to a marketing team of, you know, 10, that is more of a kind of modern marketing team, you know, and, and, and that kind of from two, I have to share that with candidates in an interview and they can get excited about, like, oh, I've done this before. I, I know how to do this. Wow. Those two things, I've starred them, I've circled them. Enter the dirty laundry, it's going to attract candidates that want to solve it. Like, yeah. yeah. And and if it freaks someone out, well, they probably aren't the one to solve it. So that's yeah. helpful. Like, it, I think you can also ask a candidate, what are the problems that you want to solve? Because ooh. most people want to do something. They want to have some kind of impact. And that impact might not be problem solving. Like if you're going from zero to 10, and this is not actual numbers, but you know, like conceptually zero to 10, like you want somebody who, that's hard, right? You, but the problem is painting on a white canvas and very few people can do that. I mean, I have way more people who say like, oh, bring me the series B, series C company that has figured out product market fit. I'll help them scale. That, that's right. not too, um, you know, to their credit, but uh, but being able to kind of be there early stage and, and solve that challenge um, is, is a particular breed of thing. And right. I don't know, I don't, I don't tend to get the searches where it's all about sustaining. You know, I guess those jobs are out there where it's like, you know, hey, you know, eke out 0.01% more market share or right. you know, whatever. Just got to hang out. Yeah, yeah. I just, that's, somebody probably wouldn't engage. Well, I guess it doesn't really matter who you get at that point if you're just trying to, hang out you know yeah. <laughs> just don't get an axe murderer but for the yeah. stuff you're talking about it does matter if you're trying to triple if you're trying to double if you're trying to solve product market fit see when you describe that i'm like i i'd prefer that personally you know give me the blank canvas let's let's talk to people and figure out where the fit is but as soon as you find it and it's really starting to take off it's like oh where's the excitement where's the cheese yeah. 
you know, yeah. and it's time to get someone else in there with that dashboard. Holy crap. Maybe you can introduce me to the dashboard guy later uh, <laughs> offline because that sounds awesome. I'd love to meet him or her, whoever it is. Um, yeah. yeah, but I like that. Asking them, though, the problem they want to solve. Like, yeah. maybe doing that before you talk about the problems you want to, you know, throw at them uh, and just having an open dialogue saying, what what kind of problems really kind of light you up? I mean, I called the other day with someone just as a as chit chat with a marketer and she was all about uh, all about that scrappy early days of of you know the sources haven't been established we don't know where the lead gen sources are let's but we want to need to go find out that appealed to her more than okay we've already got some of these here and we want to maximize them you know yeah. just to- and if you like that kind of so that person you talked to was more yeah. like call her, call her more 0 to 10 Zero to 10, if yeah. you like that and you have that experience, you are then very valuable to a company that wants to do that because often the zero to 10 person then wants to do 10 to 50. Um, and then the company that is at zero is looking for that. Or like oh, somebody who has scaled this mountain and wants to scale it again. Yeah. That's really useful. And sometimes candidates don't think of that. So sometimes I'm talking to people and I say, wow, like you, you've done this before and you like that stage, you like that messy stage and you want to go do it again. Like that's, that, that's your, that's part of your pitch. That's like maybe 80% of your pitch right there. Right. Right. It was just huge. And yeah. I think in the end, we're, we're all just trying to find the place that will fulfill us the most. And companies are all trying to find people that can solve those problems and have fun doing it, you know, yeah. in the end. Exactly. Um, so, so any other tips on, na- you know, navigating the fact that this market has flipped anything for the companies to think about anything else for the candidates to think about? Yes, you've got more opportunity as a candidate, but is there a, a downside to that? And then for a company, you do want to attract people in. Yeah, I think I have some notes here because I was on a different um, call. Um where I didn't actually get to share all of these. So um, yeah, yeah, here we go. We're like, uh, yeah. I, fire. I, I got, I got a whole little. What if just like get your pitch, you know, get, you know, get your pitch and get it good. Um, one thing yeah. I do in my searches is I always practice my elevator pitch with the client ahead of getting on the phone with potentially 200 Smart. people. Um, and so, but, but, you know, whether or not you have a search person, you know, you can do that too. Um, be flexible location wise. Um, I am, you know, so I get like a lot of calls lately about doing searches and I have to turn them down. Um, so I'm thinking of saying like, okay, I'm only going to work with the folks that are flexible location wise because mm. that kind of, that's what candidates mostly want. They want the remote job or they, like I had a person who, um, I was, it's a Boston based company. And I talked to somebody who lived, you know, call it an hour from Boston and she did not want to be in Boston three days a week, which is what the company wanted. So it's almost like, you know, she could have been, you know, the company could have been anywhere. So, so there's, there's that aspect. I think also like finding a way for your candidates to get to know the culture remotely, if that's important to them, um, ask them to join a team meeting or maybe even a customer meeting, uh, even if it's via zoom, you know, cause especially with the pandemic, we're not in touch. We're, we're not, we, we don't have as in, in person, um, you know, contact as much as we, used to so it is hard to get to know a culture um i think you can take uh you can use personality assessments um Mm -hmm. my favorite is the predictive index it's great you like the predictive minute i do i really do i maybe because i you know it's a local company i like them and know them but um you know it's like a five minute easy 
test. It was quick. It was almost too quick that I, I, I was like, wait a minute. My whole life and career is decided from this like four minute exercise that I clicked not enough words, you know? But it's pretty, was it accurate? I, I think so. I, I had somebody like, you know, explain it to me and he said lots of nice things about me. So I, I, think, okay. I think so. But they, doubted, they, they resonated? I'll have to share the results with you. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll have to find them. But okay, so you like the predictive index. That's cool. I do, I do. And and I always say to clients, hey, clients should take it too and then share it with the candidates. Again, oh, yeah. it's like sitting on the same side of the table. I also think it's just this mindset of like, if if you're if you say that your job is to recruit the best people and your company is all about the best talent, then your calendar should reflect that. And hey, can you say that again? If your job, if you see your job at, at CEO or, you know, whatever, executive leader, you know, muckety muck, um, and you say that your most important thing is to hire the best talent, have the most talented team, have a really employee centered, you know, kind of culture, then your calendar should reflect that. And you should be um, meeting with candidates and, you know, and, 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 and making sure that you dive deep into interviews and spending time with people. Like I, I'm not a fan of a 30 minute interview, frankly, because um, I think usually the best stuff comes out kind of at the end. And, mm. you know, and then often CEOs, like the, the, the most successful CEOs that I've worked with, they're great salespeople and they perceive, like I had this one client and he said, he said to all the candidates, like, I assume you could do the job because Erica wouldn't have put you in front of me if you couldn't do the job. So my job is just to sell you on this, this role. And a lot of people, and so that's great. And I mean, the guy can sell snow to Eskimos, right? And a lot of people, right. they wait until the end, like, okay, the candidate has proven themselves. And, um, and now we're going to pull out the pitch, but it could be too late at that point. Interesting. Yeah, I was chatting with a candidate once um, who was applying at a different company and they had thrown a lot of old school stuff at him. Um, they'd thrown like a weirder personality test, like a long one and it didn't quite, doesn't share. Like, I, I agree. If you're going to ask someone to take one, I like to, I do Colby a lot and, and, I, and I'll say, you take it, send it to me and I'll send you mine back. So I want you to- Yeah, and share theirs there back. Their yeah. Back with them. yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely can see yours and then send me your results. Like you see them first and then definitely I'll share mine with you. So it's more of a- even if you don't even work here, it's like a cool exercise that'll benefit yeah. you in the future, as opposed to that secret personality test that you don't know the results, but you don't get that next call and you don't even know what happened. Yeah, you kind of want to pay off somebody's time. I mean, that sounds yeah. very transactional, but somebody's putting, people are putting time in on both sides and you always want to kind of value that. And that's, that's the most, right? I mean, the most important resources that people have are their time and their relationships. And so- yeah. Those are, and, and those are very much at the foreground when, when you're in a recruiting kind of situation. And so, um, treating both sides well is, is super important. Yeah, it really is. Um, it, you just, it's that mutual respect and it, I think it shows people either realize they're getting it or they're not getting it. Um, yeah, makes sense. So, you know, you mentioned the the drive into Boston thing. It and and I guess when you mentioned flexible location, you meant that the companies you're working with, you want them to be flexible. Do and I guess the candidates don't have to be anymore because it's it's not a scarce job market, it's a abundant one. Right. You see a lot more of the remote happening. No, funnily enough, I'm seeing a lot of 
companies where they're saying, we really want the person to be here, um, you know, and if they have a preference, yeah. that's fine. I get that. And in a sense, it's easier, right? It's like, like I just started a search in Atlanta um, and okay, uh, I'm not actually an expert on Atlanta, but I'll, you know, I can, I can navigate it. <laughs> Um, but they're open to people wherever they, they were like, you know, Eastern or central time zone. So that's what I'm starting to see. Like time zone is really important mm-hmm. for companies that are flexible location wise. Um, but I am seeing uh, more CEOs saying, you know, hey, fewer CEOs than I would think saying I really want somebody to be here because and it's an honest, you know, desire. It's like they're at this stage where people working side by side is really going to like make a difference to the business, that kind of bump effect of, you know, people. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Connecting to each other. But again, the talent side isn't quite there yet. So I think we're really on this precipice and things are really kind of changing. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I have done that drive into Boston thing in, in my younger days. And yeah, I spent an hour and a half each way, you know, and I had, to, it was like train, plane, automobile. So I would do, I would drive to the commuter rail half an hour. Then I'd ride that rail in all the way to the end from end to end, you know, and then that was the, uh, the Lowell line. And then you get to oh. North station and then I would have to walk maybe 15 minutes across the river over to Cambridge, you know, oh. that, was, that was cool. When you every got, day, you did that every day, every day. And they get home, same thing, right? Catch a train back. Don't miss the train. You're waiting for another hour yeah. or two right. or something. And, you know, it was cool being in the city. at at a certain time. But then as you get older, things change, especially for executives now though. I mean, I even had a convo with my wife where we, you know, she was saying, I'm not, I'm not driving over an hour anymore. You know, I'm just, you never get the time back. You you don't, I mean, you get to listen to the hardcore marketing show, but there's only so many episodes, you know? So it's not like, you know, Casey, I need you to record every day so that I have something for my drive every day. You know, maybe I'll just go remote instead. (laughs) So tell me, um, the other myth we didn't quite, we're getting into it with your list though, which I really appreciate the, the rapid fire concepts in we're talking remote now is just that third part or the, the second one where we're talking about what candidates actually want these days, how there's a bit of a mismatch with employers thinking they want one thing and maybe even they're trying to sell them on that, but really they want something different. Now we talked about to candidates about kind of getting clear on what you, uh, as much as you can about what you actually want from a culture, but what kind of mismatches are you seeing with employers and candidates on what they actually want from a job? Hmm. I think, I don't, I, I mean, again, it's like what candidates want. They, uh, well, here's another thing that gets beyond like team and, and culture and stuff. Um, what I'm starting to see is, and this is a good thing, there being more alignment on, you know, when a company says like, okay, we want, we're at 30 million, we want to get to 50 million. Um, the best candidates will say, hey, let's have a discussion on exactly how, not just bring in more leads, but exactly where's the growth going to come from? You know, okay, we're going to focus on XYZ industry and we are going to focus on, you know, re- increasing the, you know, average, de- average deal size. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Or is it that the growth is going to come from, yeah, I don't know, acquiring a company or something. So um, it's often that a company will put on the marketing leader, like, oh, we need to grow. And, you know, and, 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 and the problem might not be, the problem could be in product. 
as opposed to in marketing. Um, the problem could be uh, a customer success problem with, you know, a kind of a leaky bucket, you know, like you, you yeah. lose customers as, as soon as you get them. And so what I'm seeing is, is, is um, you know, during the interview process, candidates getting real about like, okay, let's, let's break down where that growth is going to come from. The other thing that I'm starting to see is the best candidates talking about budget and saying, okay, you want to do this. This is the budget that I will need to do that. How does that feel to you? And um, okay, if and and you know what you don't want in a, is a marketing budget that's going to be spread like peanut butter across a ton of different priorities. It's more like you know matching it to the the, the kind of growth aspirations of the company, and saying okay, okay, this is the budget for now. If we're going to go to um, you know we're going to go global and you know serve other countries next year then this is the additional budget that I will need to, to do that. And having that alignment is, is really key. I have this framework that I came up with, with actually my friends at the Predictive Index. And it's all about, you know, why marketing, like marketing leaders can fail, but it's not for, you know, they don't fail for lack of um, uh, expertise. They don't fail for lack of, you know, interest. They fail for lack of alignment between, what the CEO's expectations are, what the marketing leader's responsibilities are. And there, there's three things, their authority, their budget, and their incentives. So those, those three things. So all, all of this stuff has to be in alignment. And often when a marketing leader fails, it's because those things haven't been, you know, defined. It's been, it's because there's been hand-waving. So I'm glad to see this in the interview process. This, and again, as it kind of goes back to like sitting on the same side of the table and getting real about what the role is and where that growth is going to come from. So cool. Uh, the idea of getting that one step deeper, especially for a marketing leader, the executives you're talking to, to understand from the companies they're working with. Yeah. Are, do you align with the CEO? Do you, do you come to the idea of growth in the same way? Um, are you going to get in there and they're like completely not, hip on digital and they want just radio advertisements right and so when you well, they want them, digital but they don't understand but they they don't want to give up the radio stuff right you know, oh. or they, or they yeah, yeah. you know right it's like i i think the biggest challenge i've talked about this before in other kind of settings is this kind of peacemaker change maker paradox that marketers can fall into so um, a marketer, marketing leader is often hired to be a change maker, right? Like, you know, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's fair, right? We all, you know, kind of want somebody who's going to make change. But often that marketing leader is asked to like, oh, but do it in a diplomatic way. Make sure you don't ruffle any feathers. And so it's like, you know, and so this is often where people can get stuck. It's like, okay, well, you hired me to make change, but then you're telling me you want me to make peace all the time. You know, which is it? And so getting clarity on, you know, and obviously it's a, you know, it's a balance. Amen though. I, I'm terrible at the peacemakers. Oh, I, I feel like I am inside. My soul has trouble with the peacemaker side, but if you're like, Hey, go ahead, break this thing. Eh, that gives you military. Uh, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but maybe, maybe it all sort of connects that it's like, yeah, let's get in here and let's fix this thing. And, <laughs> and we'll try to rescue the survivors. We won't leave anyone behind, but man, we're going to blow up whatever you have uh, and make sure it works. And that, Casey, that's great. Like I, because we were talking before about culture and yeah. people say, I want a good culture. Well, there's a difference between a culture that, you know, where it's like taking care of the survivors almost so much that, that, you know, you don't, you don't make as much advancement, 100%. advance as much 
Yeah. And then there's the cultures that are like, okay, well, we're going in a new direction. People might not want to come with us and that's okay if they want to go find other jobs. Those are, those are very different. So again, it's that peacemaker, change maker paradox and where, you know, where the, where on that kind of spectrum the company yeah. is. That is a valid conversation to have with a company. I mean, you just hope that you like can believe the answers that you're. I know, right? You just, everyone has to be transparent and clear about how that is. I think, I think as a, as a junior marketer, I experienced when all that wasn't aligned, you know, when you came into a place that, that had always typically expected marketing to be, you know, peacefully subservient to sales and just sending out things in email and, and then getting laid off the first time there was any bump because they're not actually doing anything. And somebody comes in, they're like, let's, let's define this. Let's blow this up. Let's change this. And they're like, what's going on? <laughs> Where is our peaceful marketer? Right. Who right. is this crazy exactly. person? Uh, but yeah. then it's, it's, it's bad for the other person too, because they, they're being, they're dragging people behind. And I think the worst times I've ever experienced um, always felt like punching jello. Like you want to get forward, but then it, punch you know, the jello, I like, love the jello's it. like, yeah. or, you know, like you yeah. punch it or you're trying to move forward and it just wiggles and then nothing it happens. Get ooze. You get ooze, but you don't get, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like, but this is the thing with marketers. It's like, there's uh vibrational energy and then there's translational energy. And I think a lot of marketing teams are struggle, like they struggle because they're in this vibrational like moving around but not necessarily moving from point a to point b you know they oh i get it's it. like yeah. a vending machine marketing like you know it's like okay i'll have one you know piece of collateral please and i'll have one campaign on facebook yeah <laughs> you know and 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 they get stuck in kind of doing and reacting as opposed to really pushing things forward obviously the you know the best marketers are surmounting that challenge yeah i once had a ceo ask me how many emails we sent that month and yeah, I was, you know, wee little marketing manager lad. And so I don't know why he's ask, asking me, but I actually knew the answer. It was about a million. And his response back was, well, next month, let's send a million and a half. Oh, you know? like, well, how did you react? Okay. Cause this happened, you know, a CEO, you can't really expect them to be a marketing expert. You know, that it's, it, it, you know, I'm, yeah. you know, the, the thing about being a CEO is you're not, it's a scary job, right? Cause you're not oh, expert at any of the functions that report. To you. So how did your, how would you now? Yeah, yeah. So how you're now then, you're, you know, marketing quiet. manager. I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> and and I didn't even know any better at the time, right? So and and that's why I was sort of struggling in the marketing world of saying, like, am I helping the company? Like, what am I doing? We're just sending emails out. Like, and it took having ROI tracking later on with marketing automation for me to go, oh my gosh, we I am actually doing something at work other than just sending out emails. We're like, we're helping sales sell half a million. Four million dollars worth of deals by doing these activities, certain ones. Um, so now I know. So how would I answer that now? I, no one's ever asked me that. It's really interesting. I'd be like, I'd be like uh, Bob, whatever his name is, pull up a chair. <laughs> Let, let's have a chat. <laughs> but um, I, I I don't know if you can actually convince people. Um, now that I've said that, if if, if I, that's your time to find out is on the interview, right? Like. Do they understand that it's not about quantity? It's about figuring out what works and what doesn't work and do more of what does work. Um, because I've, I've had conversations with some executives who are like, I just want volume. Just give me volume because every time we've had volume, I've seen numbers go up. And every time we haven't had volume, they've gone down. And to be able to constantly try to say, well, okay, but we're tracking these spam emails and yeah, I literally have come into places where they're sending spam out and they didn't track any of it. So I put a little tracking code in there 
And now our system's telling us that we're getting nothing from it. Like nothing is happening. Um, but, but no, keep those emails going because I don't know. And so like that, like, I don't know how much you can, you can twist an arm, you know, maneuver and that kind of thing. It just, sometimes you just need, you need that buy-in. I think, I think even like Dave Gerhard said something about that. Like you just need to have that relationship and that buy you need to be on the same page with your, your CEO before you get started. You know, like how much, how much can you convince them? Um, and then you're just spending half your day just convincing them of, right. of methodology. Right. But that is, I, I mean, what you're grappling with right now, like in, in, in what you just said, like that, that is so the meat of a CMO role. And that's the difference between the CMO that gets the job and the CMO that doesn't. It's like, the CMO that gets the job is the one that the CEO can trust to kind of say like, uh, you know, I, I don't understand this. I, you know, help me think about it in a different way that that also feels comfortable to me. Again, here's that peacemaker thing that, that you know, like I, I don't want to be too scared. So it's like, help me get from point A to point E, but don't go straight there, you know? And that's why that those conversations of like the pull up the chair and what you would say next, I think, this is where marketers need to spend their time. Like, uh, how do they prepare for those conversations? Yeah. Like you actually, like, I mean, you're, yeah, I, I just asked you off the cuff. And yeah. obviously I'm, I'm sure you would prepare being the good, you know, military boy that you are. Uh, but, uh, but I, I don't know, it, it's something I think about a lot because I'm working with CEOs and sometimes I work with CMOs as clients and it's, it's so much different. It's like, you know, you're just talking shorthand the whole time. Right. Um, but with CEOs, there's, it's different. And sometimes there is that educating and it might seem pretty basic to a marketer, but that is the core of the job in getting a CEO to understand, you know, kind of the impact that a marketing person can have and why it shouldn't be a, you know, and how do you get from this vibrational function to this translational kind of function? Nice. Yeah. I've always, that, that vibration translation for me, it's been you know, the activity mindset versus the ROI mindset. Uh, yeah, thank you. That's you know, you know, no, I like yours too, though. I, I love the idea of the vibe because you're right. It is that jello vibration of just like, we're just, oh, we're being busy, boss. We're, oh, we're so busy today. And and then, right. okay. But, but busy is a really weak defense when things get tough, you know, but if you're the investment side and you turn 5K, this is what happened with me in marketing automation. I, you know, the same guy at a different company and I show the CEO who was, equally skeptical of marketing. Hey, we spent that 5k on this thing and sales just recently closed, you know, half a million dollars of deals over here. And here it is. Here's the report. Um, it's in the interface. And then they're like, cool. Instead of asking to chop that five and a half, they're saying, what could you do with 10? <laughs> can I give right. you more? Um, can you go to 15? And now you have a better problem, which is, does this scale? How much right. volume do I have in this source? But in but it's a much more fun conversation to have is like, Ooh, how, how far can I take this versus, um, what, how can I make do with less and still, you know, hit the bigger numbers. So I, that was a light change, you know, life changer for me, just shifting that conversation over. And then it's like, well, if you want to get to this number, we have to invest it over here, you know, which is, mm -hmm. I'm sure what a lot of the dashboards you've seen, you know, okay, it's just math, you know, based on the math we have now, we can try to improve each and every step, but Based on what we have here, if you want this outcome, you know, and sales is doing this, then we just need to change these inputs on this other side. Yeah, they could be diminishing returns. And I mean, that's yeah. a challenge with, you know, the focus Absolutely. on performance marketing and, and kind of demand gen oriented people above all other skill sets where they can think in a more incremental way. Yeah. Um, 
and that can be great at a certain point, but you also get a point where you don't want to be spending so much to acquire customers, um, yeah. especially now with all the data privacy, personalization, you know, uh, stuff going on. Yeah. You know, it, it's getting more and more expensive to just kind of buy your way into a market. And, you know, and 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 so this this kind of um, I'm doing this B2C search right now and uh, talking to a bunch of people from like like called the, uh, you know, D to C kind of companies um, about how, you know, this model of, you know, DC saying just here's a ton of money, you know, go, you know, do your performance marketing stuff and, and acquire customers, you know, there are diminishing returns there. And that's why mm -hmm. you kind of need to couple it with brand. And isn't, you know, the best D to C brands have done, you know, the Warby Parkers of the world have done that. Yeah, for sure. Any, before we move on, it's interesting, any differences on the, the placement, the hiring that you're seeing between the B to C and the B to C, the B to B and the B to C. Not really. I mean, kind of the kind same. Of, you know, instead of talking about you know retention, you talk about loyalty. Instead of talking about demand gen, you talk about customer acquisition. I don't know. Like, um, I, I. But you're talking to somebody who really has long believed that there can and should be more. Uh, cross-pollination between mm -hmm. B2B and B2C marketing. Mm -hmm. um, especially now, again, with all the, you know, the, the kind of diminishing returns of performance marketing, what you see is on the B2C side, more of a focus on content marketing, mm -hmm. um, you know, call it inbound, you know, in their, in their own way. Um, and, and so I think, you know, B2B folks could definitely make that leap, you know, um, right. and B2B folks tend to be a little bit more, you know, used to smaller budgets for better or for worse. Um, so I think, you know, again, that's kind of a trend, but I've, I've, I've thought about that trend and, or, you know, been prognosticating that trend for a long time. And, and, uh, uh, I think it, it really gets down to companies want to hire somebody that, um, from a brand that's kind of aspirational for them. Mm -hmm. And, clients don't like to squint you know it's like okay so i am whatever i'm pepsi and you're bringing me a candidate from marketo <laughs> huh? you know and 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 you or i could potentially make a, a you know a, a case for that making a ton of sense right wasn't it mcdonald's that bought that it was like a martech company that they bought like some, um and uh yeah yeah, yeah. it's like you know, several months ago or maybe a couple of years ago, I forget, um, you know, but again, it's like more likely that the Pepsi person is going to be like, who's from Diageo, who's from Cadbury Schweppes, who's from, who's from Coca-Cola, you know, just, just to give an example, you know, it's the same on the B2B side, you know, yeah. Martech company, like, you know, like I've had to uh, tell CEOs, okay, you're a Martech company. Actually look at this person from the cybersecurity space because they're both knife fights, right? Martech cybersecurity, they're both, you know, tech stacks where, you know, somebody can kind of build their tech stack with whatever selection of technology they, they need. They're kind of yeah. anchor tenants and then they're, you know, other technologies to fill in the blank. You know, you know, so there's actually more similarities than differences, but some are yeah. more willing to see that than others. I think part of that, we can do a whole other show on this one, but just the idea, I think we, my soapbox is we, we have stopped talking to our customers and so because of that, the industry experience matters more because you already, hopefully already know them. But if you have some sort of process where you just talk to them and you learn what, what the deal is and you learn their likes and their weaknesses and their challenges and their struggles and the triggers that make them buy, then you could technically market anything. 
um, if you build in time, you know, in your onboarding to be able to talk to everyone you need to talk to. And I think yeah. because we hide behind our tools and whatnot, and then we, we infer what we think they know. Uh, right. I recently had this opportunity to work with an IT company and a lot of the experiences I had seen with a marketing SaaS worked for IT SaaS. And, and mostly it wasn't about the buyers completely different, right? Different department, they act different ways, still human, but <laughs> barely they're different. They're very different. But the difference, uh, the, the similarity was both of those software tools are, were like game changers in that it was no, not just a, a nice to have, but if you fully use this tool, it would change the way you would operate for the rest of your mm -hmm. career. And, and that required change management and that required buy-in and all the, the harder things beyond getting to know the buyer. So it's like, get to know the buyer, have conversations with them. And then the similarities that I think really matters is, hey, they helped, you know, these people lead organizational change at this other company. They could do it here too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, that's a great example. And yeah. that's often what happens in a search. It's like, you know, I'm pitching people and kind of trying to tell the story of how their experience is relevant. And then um, there's kind of an art to that. Oh, 100%. That's, that's why they pay you the big bucks. You're, <laughs> that's why you're that important. Um, quick question. Uh, any favorite book you're either reading now or you like to recommend to people? One book that I love, I mean, I, it's been a long time since I read it, but um, I read it at the beginning of my recruiting career. It's called The Rare Find. It's by George Anders, um, which I, it might be out of print now, but I think it's, it's still great. And it's, um, this guy looked at... Um, kind of extreme uh, areas of talent. Like, so he looked at, um, what is it, like Navy SEALs and he followed around the Navy SEALs and to see how they would uh, kind of recruit, you know, or, or you know, like assess people for um, being good for the Navy SEALs. He looked at basketball teams, like pro basketball teams and how scouts would pick, pick people to be on the teams. And what he found was that it wasn't the person who... Uh, in the case of like basketball, it wasn't the person that jumped the highest or, um, you know, got the most baskets. It was the person who ran to the huddle instead of walked to the huddle. It was uh. the person who showed up earlier for practice and stayed late. It was the person who like put their arm around the, you know, a, a fellow teammate, um, you know, and that, um, you know, when things were going top and that that's how scouts like the best scouts kind of work to find the best people for basketball teams and and then he looked at like venture capital and everything else i i found it really fascinating because um i guess because my job is all about you know finding that that rare find um so that's one i like another one i like is um uh adam grant uh given what's it called give and take giving and taking and it's all about how you know we're either givers or takers or matchers and um also very relevant to what i do Interesting. That's great. I, I love finding out about cool books. Cool. I'd definitely check those out. How much do you read? I listen a lot. I listen. A oh, lot. okay. Like Audible? Yeah. Audible. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If, if something has an Audible, it's like almost always going to get added to my list. But if it doesn't have, it's like a special thing. If it, though, I, I think I need to add in more of that like nighttime reading, get off the electronics kind of thing, you know, so your eyes are looking at paper instead of, mm -hmm. you know, a screen. I got to start doing that. So, I mean, the books are around me. They're going, Casey, yeah. read me. 
So I just need to, you know, take them up on that offer. Yeah. Yeah. So much well, hey, I'd love a little time. Yeah. Oh, no, seriously. I, I'd love the kind of transition. Uh, you've taught us so much. I'm just curious where all this information comes from, how you gained all this thing. So really, who are you? <laughs> take me back in time, like little Erica days. Did you always know you're going to be doing what you're doing now? Did you have any glimpses of it? What was it like growing up? Oh, hell no. No, um, it's so funny because my mom say, Erica, I cannot believe you do what you do. Like, because when you were little, the phone would ring and you would like run away and like hide behind me. Like I, I had a speech problem growing up. You know, you'll hear it a little bit here and now, here, here and again. And so I just wasn't comfortable talking. And I think mm. now it might be why I, I actually spend a lot of my time listening, you know, whether it's clients talking or candidates talking, because I'd rather you know, not spiel for too long. Um, this podcast notwithstanding, I guess. Um, so yeah, no, and very few recruiters. I've only went, met one recruiter who like wanted to do this from when he was little, you know, it's the kind of thing that you, you know, you, you kind of collect really dispersed and dis disparate, you know, uh, aspects yeah. of your, you know, kind of in your career toolbox. And then you realize like, oh, okay. I can put this all together, you know, like I like this weird combination of selling and relationship management and um, getting to be an expert in one particular area and, you know, finding people, you know, it's kind of like being a personal shopper and everything. So uh, not what I expected, but I, I uh, yeah, I wish I was a person who knew what I wanted to do at an early age because I would have been much more successful, but um, I changed my mind a gazillion times. I knew I wanted tech. I, I knew I was just kind of like, you know, my family growing up, they were like the last people to, you know, get the VCR or get the, you know, whatever, like get the, get the, whatever the tech was of the day. And I wanted to make technology easier for people to use. And so, um, so for the first part of my career, it was a lot about, I did UI design, UX stuff. And so it was like connecting people to technology. And then I had this pivot, which was kind of really key and that was like connecting people to people mm. and that was really I mean I like both but you know but that's kind of obviously where recruiting lies yeah and but I love that background of from listening you know just a little bit of hesitation on wanting to speak but causes you to listen more and then you just get really good at it you know and and I, I have to imagine that you just sort of picked up all these it's like a muscle, right? The listening skill. And now you have a podcast, which is just perfect because you know, people think you get to do a podcast to talk a lot, but actually you do a podcast to mostly listen and learn. And if that's your jam, then it's just the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. But I think the listening, it's, it's a skill that you really have to continually hone. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm actually the yeah, I'd say that. It's like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'd rather be thinking about what somebody else is saying. And then because sometimes I kind of, you know, steal the way they, you know, their, their turn of phrase. And I say, well, I really like that. I'm going to use that. Uh, oh, yeah. But, totally. uh, but I, I think, you know, part of it is over time in your career, there's, there's a couple of different dimensions. It's like one is that ego, you know, you realize that ego serves you less and less. And so hopefully as you get more further, as you get further into your career, your ego kind of drops away more and more and that can enable you to be more present with other people and not be worried about being the smartest person in the room. I think early on in my career, I had to be, I felt like, oh, I had to be smart and yeah. And it's, it's not really the, the 
case. You know, it's like it, it can like, you know, the way to be smart now is to have a conversation like we were talking about before about, you know, telling a CEO why sending 1.5 million emails is not advisable. That's not the smart. That's not like being all cerebral and everything. It's just really thinking about how somebody else is 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 approaching a problem and right. helping them get from where they are to kind of where you want them to be. Yeah, it's like internal marketing. You know, it really is. A, yeah. You have to, yeah. you market yourself to the organization just as much as to the, the customer, yeah. to sales and to everyone, uh, to your stakeholders. Uh, I think that language helped me a while back too, just understand, oh, what you do is marketing and don't forget to do that internally as yeah. well as externally. You know, you need right. to do that. Across the board, right. especially yeah, like the marketing of marketing. We we wrote this piece. Yeah. I was at Forrester previously running this business. It was very cool. It was like this uh, kind of peer to peer networking service for CMOs around the world, and um, and we did this bespoke research. Um, I didn't write it; somebody else did. But um, one of the first pieces, which is very popular, was called the marketing of marketing, and the idea that like you have to market the function internally. So yeah. that people understand what you're doing, what you're spending money on, what you're not spending money on, how long it takes to run a campaign, for God's sakes, because people think like, oh, I could just, you know, you know, go poke a marketer in the tummy and, you know, like a, you know, a campaign's going to come out. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. A little bit, the Pillsbury. Yeah. It's like the Pillsbury Doughboy. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you picked up on that one. That's good. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and eventually, you know, you went to, you went to Warden, by the way, did, did you, um, ever do any classes with Peter Fader? Um, he around? yeah, he scared the crap out of me. Yeah. So he was on here. I, 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 oh, I yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Oh geez. Yeah. 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 And we just chatted and he just burned my brain for an hour and a half. It was great. It was great. He's a really smart guy, but that oh, yeah. was one of those episodes where you, in, and I, you had to be okay to your point just now with ego, you have to be okay being not the smartest person in the room so you can learn. And so I'm on this podcast and I'm sure people are, you know, we're, we're listening. To, I knew people were listening to it, but I had to be okay asking dumb questions or whatever questions to just stay on the path with him where he was taking it. But it was really interesting. The idea of, you know, lifetime value, help yeah. you decide what you need to do with your marketing makes total sense, yeah. but it's the, it's the how that got really interesting and the fog and the smoke coming out of my ears on the show is just awesome. But he's a, he's a fantastic guy. He's a force. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, Wharton has a very uh, quantitative oriented marketing function. When I was in business school, the first, I'll just never forget this, but we had this, uh, you know, it's like you form these teams and you have to do all this work together. And, um, and one of the classes was marketing and it was, it was one of the hardest things. To, and, and everybody's like, oh, marketing, it's a, you know, this is a finance school. And so let's really focus on the finance aspects. And, um, and it was marketing that just like killed us all, you know, in the first, you know, semester of business school. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Well, Hey, I have a hypothetical question to throw at you. Yeah. Um, because I may or may not have a time machine up here in New Hampshire. And, you know, let's say uh, you come visit, we get some beers and you get the chance to use the time machine. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a certain kind that of, goes back in time to uh, to younger you days. And you get to see yourself after that undergrad degree. You just graduated at international yeah. relations. Um, yeah, you know, you're going out in the world now. You get to meet that version of you. What do you tell her? What kind of advice do you give her? I think it gets back to that abundance scarcity mindset, you know, so we we're talking about the before and recruiting. And I think earlier in my career, 
I had more of a scarcity mindset when it came to jobs. And so I was always like, oh my God, I got a job. And, uh, you know, and I wasn't, I, I was, I, I've been in a lot of jobs that weren't quite the right fit. And I, but at the time I was like, oh, I have to do this. I have to put in at least a year. And I, I mean, I've had a bunch of jobs where I was like crossing days off a calendar, literally like, yeah. oh, I got to just get to a year and then I can leave. And, yeah. and, um, and I think having more, if I could go back, I would tell myself like to have more of an abundance mindset, like there's other stuff out there. And in fact, like you're only, you're, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting the company that you're at. You're hurting like those around you, you know, your loved ones, if you're in a job that makes you miserable because like I'm pretty career oriented and, yeah. and I just, yeah, I've had, you know, it's, it's, it, it's so funny because I've had a lot of, I feel it's just been like, I probably had a lot more. I don't want to say career trauma, but like, you know, that's, that's too. No, me too. I I've, I've just, I've just, you know, yeah. And I've been in some situations where I'm like, oh, this is like, so not me. But I, I, I think the other thing is that like, as you go through your career, there should be a gradual alignment between who you are and what you do. And that's wonderful when you get there. Of course, those things are kind of always changing, right? You don't want to, you don't want to also want to get sedimented. You also kind of want to have a mindset of like growth and change and, and kind of evolving. But, um, but those are some of the things I would have told myself and maybe military service, like we were talking about before, um, you know, would have been, I don't know, like, cause there's only one time in your life when you can kind of do it. Right. It, yeah. And that is the thing. Like some things you can do at any point and some things. You know, you're like, you know, 80 applying to the, the Marine Corps. Get me back in, folks. <laughs> get yeah, me yeah. out and give me a, give me a rifle. Let me, let me get back out there. But they're like, ah, oh, I appreciate you, you applying, but I don't right. have the time. But you're right though. The abundance of, there's plenty of positions out there. I think I stayed in ones like that too. Um, now I will say I wouldn't trade any of those. I worked at some pretty terrible places or great place with a not so great boss. But like those experiences of what not to do really helped me. I think be better at, you know, eventually creating a company or eventually being a manager because I've experienced what didn't work well for me and, and feeling in, unimportant or feel, you know, or just not respected or those kind of things. It's like, okay, let's make sure we do that moving forward. Um, so so true. those are valuable lessons. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. If, if people want to connect with you and there's a thousand reasons why, um, where should they go? What kind of social platforms, what kind of websites? Where should they reach out? Uh, LinkedIn is uh, probably where I'm most active. And I also have a, obviously, a website with a blog. I don't know. Blogs are kind of like old school, but anyway, but I have this newsletter um, and it's all about, uh, uh, you know, my tagline is I place the make money marketing leaders and not the make it pretty ones. And so yeah. it's occasional newsletter, which also goes out to my blog. And of course, as you mentioned, I have a podcast on all of your favorite uh, podcast platforms called The Get. And I am working on the next season now, actually. And it's all about solving for the scale journey. And, Talk um, more about that. Yeah, so The Get, that. what's on there? Do you interview people? Or are, you, are you giving out tips like this? Or Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I interview folks that are marketing leaders. I focus it on B2B SaaS and um, and most of the seasons, I've, well, <laughs> I'm on season four. So the last couple of seasons I've had um, uh, like a theme. So the previous one was diversity, equity, inclusion. This year, the, this one is about the solving for the scale journey. And it's really, yeah, but the get is really all about the intersection between B2B SaaS, 
marketing leadership and recruiting slash hiring slash organization stuff. And it's really fun. Yeah, no, I, I've had such a great time chatting with you. I, I can imagine, you know, everyone else listening to this going, I want to get more of this. Well, there's only so many episodes of the Hardcore Marketing Show, but you can get a whole season of the get or past season. What, which one are you on now? Is this season four? Or what, what season? season four that I'm working on right now. And, wow. uh, you know, yeah, mine is a little different. So it, it, it um, it's like a Netflix show where, you know, you it's serial though. It's kind of like, it, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. cool though. Very cool. Awesome. I'm definitely going to tune into that. We're going to link to that in the show notes. So people can bounce on over to that. Um, are there any positions you're trying to fill for our marketing leaders out there listening? Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, let me see. I, I mean, I, I'll say I'm in pretty good shape on my searches right now. So okay. like, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I, I do when I can, when I do the search that I can share, um, I often post it to my newsletter and on my site. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty confident. About hey, that's, right that, I'm so I'm happy to hear that. Thing. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. So if, if people want to get on that newsletter to be in that loop, it's the connectivegood.com, right? Exactly. Sign up for that and connect with you on LinkedIn. This is amazing. Erica, you are so badass. I'm so glad we got introduced to each other and we've had a chance to sit down and and I, I hope I've I've lived up because there are no casual conversations with recruiters, but <laughs> I feel like maybe this was one, but I had such a good time with you today. No, you know, uh, it, it was the right amount of casual versus, you know, structured. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So thank you very much for your time, Casey. This is fun. Yeah, this is so fun. We'll have to have you come back. And, and if you're ever you know, looking for someone that you, and, you know, we get them on the show, there's a tradition that once people are on the show, if they're a marketing leader and they're looking, they often get, they find their position afterwards. So let me know. How do I get help? Great. Thank you Absolutely. so much. So for those listening, if you've learned something, and I know you have, because I literally have two pages of notes front and back over here. I have like a tome of knowledge, so many great takeaways from multiple myths and the idea of the scarcity, the abundance, but also getting that personal niche slash niche right. There's so many things, but if you learn something, share this episode with someone else. That's how you show thought leadership, whether you're a marketing coordinator, all the way up to you're a CMO, Whatever the case may be, when you share knowledge, that's thought leadership, and that's how we make the world better. So with that, Erica, thank you again. This is amazing. Thank you, Casey. All right, everyone. This has been another absolutely fantastic episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.